Welcome to Spew Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender and my daughter Abby Kadabby has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 46th meeting of Spew to order. Lavender. Hello, Queerness. How are you guys doing today? We are good. Trying not to melt. It's very hot right now. Yeah, that's that's about it. After a year in quarantine, I guess I forgot what southern summers were like, and I don't want to go outside. Yeah. I had someone shake my hand yesterday, and it was weird. Was it weird because it was sweaty? Uh, no, just because it's the first time anyone shook my hand in over a year. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I went out without my mask for the first time last weekend, and I felt, I don't know, almost felt like, hmm, you know, almost felt like I was naked without my face covering. It felt weird. And I'm going to go back to putting it on, I think, with the new variant and everything, and I don't want to smile at people in the grocery store. Who knows what people in grocery stores have? The nasties. <laughs> Important dates for the first half of the month. August 1st was Bill and Fleur's wedding. Does also mean that August 1st is the day that Rufus Scrimmier dies. True. But August 11th is Ginny's birthday. I never realized that. That's everything happening really in the first half of the month. Not a lot. No, everything happens in July or September yep. in Harry Potter world. Yep. And October. Yes. And August is just looked over. It's an off month. It, it usually takes place, well, near the beginning of the books. When nothing's happening yet. It just sets the mood for the story, I guess. It, it, it lays the groundwork. That's all August is good for. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to talk about today, Queerness? That is a good question. <laughs> because until last night, I did not know. Yeah, it was kind of a... Just like nothing is happening in August in Harry Potter books, mm, August is kind of dry for us, too. <laughs> So today, I want to talk about a couple of the different manuals that are used for diagnosing autism, uh, specifically DSM and the differences between DSM-4 and DSM-5. And if none of this means anything to you, <laughs> that is to be expected. I, I think this is something that mainly affects Asperger's and some of those other not exactly autism type things and specifically the change that happened between four and five that affected them well and i just have to say that when you messaged this to me saying this is what we're going to talk about because like we said we were having big problems coming up with an idea for this episode um i mean you sent it to me and you were just like okay we're going to talk about dsm-5 and i was like what is that <laughs> so if you don't know what this is either dear listeners don't worry i didn't either at first it, I think this is something where if you have Asperger's, you've probably heard of this before. But if you're someone who's just dealing with classic autism, you probably have not. Which makes sense as to why I probably have not. 
So DSM stands for Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Oh. It is published by the American Psychiatric Association, or APA. It's been around since 1952, and the current version is DSM-5, which was published in 2013. This is the primary diagnosis material for mental disorders in the U.S. The rest of the world basically uses the International Classification of Diseases, which is a manual maintained by the World Health Organization. The U.S. does use it for everything except for mental disorders. Oh. Yeah, so it's just it's a slightly different thing. I started doing research and found out interesting stuff about it and then realized it didn't really matter all that much. <laughs> so it actually started in 1893 as the Bertillon Classification of Causes of death. In 1900, it was renamed the International Classification of Causes of Death and was revised every 10 years until 1949 when it went through a major revision and was renamed the International Classification of Diseases, starting with ICD-6. So the current version is ICD-10, and that's been in use since 1994. ICD-11 was first published in 2011, was officially endorsed in 2019, and officially comes into effect January 1st of next year. Hmm. So I tell you all of that to basically say that when it comes to the mental disorders chapter, they try to keep ICD basically identical to DSM as much as possible. And so because of this, ICD-10 is almost identical to DSM-4, and ICD-11 is basically identical to DSM-5. But that means that the current version of ICD is basically 10 years out of date until the new version goes into effect next year. <laughs> so, with that, I thought I would include just a little bit of history of autism being diagnosable. So it was first added in DSM-2 in 1952, and when it was added, it was added as a psychiatric condition and a form of schizophrenia. I've heard that before. It was in 1980 when DSM-3 was published that it got its own separate diagnosis as pervasive developmental disorder. Mm. And so this is... So this is PDD. It's a term that's still used and is still important, but it does go away. So in 1987, DSM-3 received a revision and a new version was added called Pervasive Developmental Disorder Not Otherwise Specified, or PDD-NOS. So this is basically the first attempt at recognizing a milder form. So at this time, there was just those two different classifications. PDD and PDD-NOS. Yes. Okay. Lots of um, initials today. Lots of acronyms, yes. Such as, such as life. <laughs> such as medicine. Such as medicine. <laughs> So the big change came in 1994 with DSM-4. And this is where a lot of people noticed that you rarely heard about autism prior to the early 90s. And so people seem to think that there was this huge influx that happened in this time period, the proof that there was some sort of factor that caused it. But in reality, the factor that caused this influx was DSM-4. It introduced five pervasive developmental disorders. Classic autism, Asperger's syndrome, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, Rett syndrome, and childhood disintegrative disorder, also known as CDD or Heller syndrome. Now, as I was researching this, 
I looked into this Heller syndrome and I realized that if Abby had been diagnosed under DSM-4, she would probably be diagnosed with Heller syndrome instead of classic autism. Have you ever heard of this one? I have not. Actually, I've heard of all of the others, but not Heller's. So this one, the only real difference between it and classic autism is regression. Anytime between the age of 2 and 10, they can develop normally and then all of a sudden regress. Where with classic autism, those skills just don't develop in the first place. So since she had a regression, it would actually be classified as Heller syndrome instead of classic autism. Hmm. But all of that changed in 2013 with DSM-5. And this was a big deal because people were worried about how these existing diagnoses would work once they were removed. And it actually proved not a big deal. They all get reclassified under one of these other categories and nothing really happened. People were really concerned more about how insurance would handle treatments because the insurance companies get all of their guidance from this manual. So when this changed, people were really worried that it would affect what the insurance would cover, but it actually didn't turn out to be a big deal. Mm. Thank God. So pervasive developmental disorder has now been replaced entirely with autistic spectrum disorder. So this is when the autism spectrum officially became a thing. And mm-hmm. Asperger's, PDD, NOS, and Heller syndrome are no longer diagnosable disorders. They are all now just autistic spectrum disorder. And there are three categories requiring support, requiring substantial support, requiring very substantial support, which are incredibly vague, helpful categories. It means... <laughs> Maybe vague is good, because then the insurance companies can't say, well, according to bylaw section, you know, 34B. Maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. Oh. Insurance companies are evil. It just, the fact that these are the three categories are very weird and vague. I feel like they should have... Yeah, how do we how do we have a whole, you know, spectrum disorder, which, you know, covers a wide spectrum and only three subcategories? It feels like there should be at least five. Five kind at of feels right At least five, I agree. But you also don't hear about these categories either. It's just autism, and that's kind of vague when you just say it now, because it it could be anywhere on that spectrum, and it's kind of confusing. I mean, I hear this, but I hear it when I'm, like, filling out paperwork for Abby. You know, how would you describe, you know, Abby's current independence level? Does she require support, require substantial, or very substantial report? Like, I've seen it in scenarios like that. Right. So, in that case, it kind of sounds like it's not so much a specific diagnosis in those three categories but just a way to describe it Mm -hmm. yeah i always get the feeling like if i see that question on some paperwork that's that's them just trying to figure out you know how we should approach whatever we're doing whether it's school doctors something like that right there are also two new diagnoses Rett syndrome is now its own separate diagnosis and there is also a new completely separate diagnosis for social communication disorder which this one specifically does not have the repetitive movement or any of the other symptoms it is specifically just communication and social skills Hmm. okay so that one is not part of the spectrum so we would i mean i think obviously i'm not a doctor but just from 
you know, my exposure in this, like, we would kind of say that that would be maybe Asperger's, right? Well, the specific difference is Asperger's has the, the repetitive movement and and that's the specific difference between Asperger's and the social communication disorder. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't have a whole lot. Just, I thought this was something to know about. And the, the differences... I think it's interesting. You hear a lot of people like self-diagnosed with Asperger's and stuff. But the thing is, it was only diagnosable for about 10 years, at least in the U.S. Right. I think it's really interesting that, um, once again, the United States just has its own thing. I mean, I get that they're, they're very similar now, but of course, right, the United right. States just has our, has our own thing that we look at. We don't use what the rest of the world does. That's why we're not on the metric system. We like to be special. Yeah. <laughs> but at least they're the they're very similar. <laughs> yes, they're very similar. So as of right now, internationally, you still have the five separate pervasive developmental disorders. But as of January 1st, it'll change to the autism spectrum disorder. And that's so wild to me because I feel like, at least here in the States, we are still trying to push the whole or at least normalize i should say we're normalizing the whole you know autism is a spectrum and still trying to like get that narrative out into like the mainstream because a lot of people still don't know they just think autism is like cut and dry and all people with autism do you know the same things pretty much and everybody's at least in the autism community i guess we're still trying to push like no it's a spectrum and it is literally different for every person Mm-hmm. Like that's still it still feels pretty new. Right. And I mean Abby's been diagnosed for eight years now. Mm-hmm. Nine. Nine years. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're old. <laughs> we're old. Right. Want a trivia question? Sure. Which Hogwarts student is traveling with Griphook, Ted Tonks, and Gornut when Harry overhears them talking about the sword of Gryffindor? <gasps> This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. Okay, Lavender, which student is traveling with Griphook, Ted, and Gornuck? Uh, Dean? Dean Thomas? Yeah, it is Dean Thomas. I thought you said Steve. I was like, who's Steve? Steve. Steve Carell. That's who. I almost said Seamus. Right. But he was still at the castle. Right. Seamus was also my, like, when I first read this, I was like between Seamus and Dean. And I'm like, pretty sure it was Dean. Right. And yeah. Well, and especially because throughout the books, you know, they're always like together. Like they're friends, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Because I, yeah, I tend to get those two kind of confused. So they're kind of like the same person. (laughs) Yeah, they both like to blow things up and play with fire, I'm pretty sure. Wizarding World News got a few updates stuff going on so the harry potter store in new york is finally opening their two vr experiences these are quite elaborate so they take up almost an entire floor so the first one chaos at hogwarts is up on the top floor and the other one, Wizards Take Flight, are down in the, is down in the basement. So these are approximately 15 minute runtime. Takes about 30 minutes total when it comes to putting your gear on, doing the thing, taking the gear off. Yeah. You have to pre-register for these experiences and they're $34 a piece, which is a weird random number. But Chaos at Hogwarts involves putting on 
a backpack computer, hand trackers, foot trackers, VR headset. You have a wand. It is a full walk-around experience. Oh, wow. And the description is, after missing the Hogwarts Express at King's Cross Station, Dobby helps us get to Hogwarts. Students, Dobby needs your help. Journey through Hogwarts Castle, casting spells with your wand, rounding up pixies, discover hidden secrets, and find whether you and your friends can manage the chaos. So there's six people in the room at a time and you can see each other's avatars. And so when you like set up, you can like design your avatar and choose your house and stuff. What? Yeah. And then wizards take flight. This one doesn't require as much gear. You just have a VR headset that's actually mounted above your broom. So you go, you sit in your broom, you have your hand trackers, which are stored in the Quidditch lockers. And the wand is in the basket of the broom. And this one is fly freely over the skies of Hogwarts before meeting Hagrid at Nocturne Alley and then battle Death Eaters over the city of London, casting spells with your wand as you try to escape. That sounds like it would give me anxiety. (laughs) This one sounds fun. I did read a review where they said that the best part is the beginning where you can free fly because you can fly around the entire ground and you have full control over it. But then when the story part kicks in, it becomes much more like a rail shooter where you're just kind of following the pre-designed course as you're flying through the story. Mm. I don't know, man. Those VR things are scary. They're so realistic. (laughs) I feel like if I were to do one with flying i would i like for real would panic flying and trying to cast spells i am not that coordinated <laughs> but they do sound fun <laughs> yes harry potter and the cursed child is starting back up around the world however the big news comes from sonia friedman productions so this is the production company that produces the shows in north america and so this includes new york san francisco and toronto So basically, due to the cost of having to remount two whole shows and redo rehearsals and everything, they decided that they're going to change it to a single performance rather than two performances. Hmm. So they have teamed up with Jack Thorne and John Tiffany, who were, you know, the original writer and director, to rework the show into a single performance. They've basically cut about an hour of runtime. So the original runtime was five hours with two 20-minute intermissions included in that runtime. The new runtime is approximately three and a half hours with a single 20-minute intermission. That is so so much more reasonable. It it does seem that way. I'm just very curious as to what they cut, because an hour is a lot. Yeah, what got cut. But they, they said they tried to keep it as close to possible of keeping the whole story, of keeping all of the different magic and stuff. They actually said that it was quite fun being able to go back and look at it several years later and figure out how to rework it. So maybe it'll actually be better. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I mean, obviously I haven't seen Cursed Child. You have. Five hours. That is, that's a lot. It's not even a Broadway musical, sir. That's a lot. I mean, because there's two 20-minute intermissions. It's really doesn't feel like five hours. It's two-hour play, then you take a couple-hour break, and then you come back and you watch another two-hour play. It's really no different than Deathly Hallows. Don't you get hungry? That's what the two-hour break in between is for. Dude, okay, I just Googled it. No. Wicked is not even five hours runtime. No. That is excessive. It's five hours with the two intermissions. It's okay, only so four hours four and long. A half. Okay, four hours. Yeah, it's it's it's. Wicked is two hour? hours and forty-five minutes. 
you have an hour, 20 minute intermission, an hour, then you go and eat for two hours, come back, an hour, intermission, an hour. It's not, it doesn't, it's not really five hours and it doesn't really feel that long. You just have to be really committed, I think. But the new version basically is an hour and a half, an intermission, and an hour and a half. Yes. So the the new ticket prices kind of reflect that. So the the old way the ticket prices were priced were fairly cheap in comparison, except for the fact that you had to purchase two tickets, which made it very expensive. So the new ticket prices take that into consideration. So now it's priced closer to that of a regular Broadway show. Still a little pricey, but not as bad as what it was. Well, that's good. So there is a Forbidden Forest Experience opening in the UK in the fall at Arley Hall and Gardens. The cost will be 19 pounds and will feature an illuminated path in the woods featuring moments and encounters with mystical creatures. I, I, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to picture it in my head, and the closest I'm coming up with is like something like uh, a Chihuly with with Harry yeah. Potter. So it's it's the same company that put together the studio tour and a few other like walkthrough experiences. So none of the other ones that they've done have been like this experience to like transport you there, but more of a learning behind the scenes type experience. So I'm really not sure what this one would be. There is a new Blu-ray release of the first film coming out featuring a new magical movie mode. So this is a, basically it's a Blu-ray feature that I'm not sure how many That we've been missing? But basically you watch the movie and it dynamically inserts commentary, deleted scenes, art, images, trivia, facts as you watch the movie. And Joanne's been tweeting again. Of course. And it's gross. Yeah, it's basically just gross. It, she, she's still quite clueless. I don't even know if I want to even read these. Um, no, They're not really even should. important. Just know that, you know, she continues to be a terrible human. She's, yeah, because she's just, she's just being gross and being a terrible person and almost bragging about it at this point. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Rubbing people's noses in it. People keep sending, like death threats and it's like which, okay. which don't do that don't Nobody don't do that. that that makes you just about as bad as she is but like also all it's doing is making her stronger so don't do that yeah, it gives her validation we do not want to validate the bad behavior yes. just ignore her yes. if you follow her on twitter unfollow do you follow her queerness or do you no, just like every no. once in a while see what's going on no um google informs me ah okay yeah don't follow her on any social media platforms. I mean, and don't send death threats. I don't think any of our listeners would do that. But The whole point of trying to cancel someone is to stop validating them. Yeah, like... And so she's just, like, going on about how her book sales are up, and yeah. So, on related news... A Canadian nurse purchased a billboard that says, I heart J.K. Rowling. So now she's under investigation by the British Columbia College of Nurses and Midwives to make sure that her opinions are not affecting her patients. And 
her fun quote, fighting for women's sex-based rights has no impact on my ability to provide care as a nurse. There is nothing hateful or transphobic about women's rights. <sighs> These people are so clueless. It's so confusing. For women's sex-based rights. <sighs> what? Right? She basically contradicts herself in the same... Yeah. Fighting for women's sex-based rights. Okay, okay. And then nothing hateful or transphobic about it. Yes, there is, obviously. Right. Just to remind everybody, trans women are women, and women's rights include trans women's rights. Yes. Just in case anybody was confused about why we are in arms about this. Alrighty. That's all I got for today. Well, you know what? For not having a lot, it sure did end up being quite a bit. Yeah. Well done. Well done, Queerness. So if you would like to join our conversation, you can send us some owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com. Or you can send us a howler by clicking the link in the description or giving us a call at 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739. You can also visit our website at spewpod.uk. We're on Twitter at Spectrum People and on Facebook at facebook.com slash spewcast. We're also on Instagram at spewpod and TikTok at spewcast. As always, we want to thank Joan Burr for our theme music. And until next time, I'm Quirinus. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye! Bye!